Let's head to the United States now. Celeste Katz-Marston is our guest there in the beautiful city of Boston, Massachusetts. Celeste, good morning. Welcome back to the program. Good morning. In fact, welcome for the first time this year for me, and a pleasure to talk to you. Celeste, what are the bizarre stories, it's fair to say, over the last couple of years? Was this allegation that some people, especially at the uh, U.S. Embassy in Cuba, had been hit by some mysterious ray or some sort of thing that targeted the embassy and gave them all sorts of terrible problems, terrible headaches, uh, memory loss, uh, loss, loss of hearing and vision, balance problems, nausea, all this sort of stuff. The CIA have looked into it. What has happened? This is something, a phenomenon that's actually quite scary, yes. and certainly the way you describe it is is accurate. Uh, it's been come to be called Havana Syndrome, again, because as you said, uh, this was something that people were reporting a lot of uh, in Cuba, particularly uh, U.S. diplomatic staff, uh, operatives, um, that sort of thing. Uh, so the CIA looked into it to see if this was essentially some sort of attack on uh, Americans and American interests uh, through, I don't want to call it mind control, but this sort of, uh, I don't know if you could call it a biological weapon, could if be. it was done with sound, with with rays, with waves or something. But essentially what the CIA did was look into this and say they can't find evidence that this is a coordinated attack by a hostile foreign power. Um, but there have been hundreds and hundreds of reports. There were a few dozen cases, um, you know, where they couldn't explain it by saying this might have been other environmental factors, uh, stress, pre-existing conditions. But so far, the bottom line is that they have not been able to come out and say, yes, Russia was staging this attack that caused all these people to come down with uh, so-called Havana syndrome. Okay, here's my question, though. If they did find that there was something, would they tell us? Because that might start panic. Now, if there is something and they don't tell us, then you'd have to think the Russians or the Chinese or whoever's behind this, the Cubans, they would think, oh, well, they know anyway. So now they know that we know. You know you know what I mean? It's like, it, it, what is the advantage of announcing, yes, we found that there was something? That, because they could aim it at the White House. They could aim it at, at, at you know, um, the Pentagon, they could aim it at Wall Street offices, all sorts of things could happen. And now they are saying, no, it does not exist. Does that mean that all of these people who have been affected in some way have invented this? I don't think that the people who were complaining about this were making it up. I mean, are there ostensibly other reasons why people could have experienced uh, headaches, nausea, hearing loss? I mean, sure. I mean, maybe these people are, um, you know, some of them had uh, pre-existing medical conditions. Maybe they were exposed to some environmental factor or toxin, uh, even poisoning or something like that. That certainly could be the case. There could be, um, there could be localized uh, attacks on people who are in uh, U.S. service or something like that that is not a coordinated, widespread attack by a single hostile foreign power. So there are lots of different reasons. I think your question is really interesting because the release or the withholding of information is in itself 
a diplomatic and strategic tactic, right? A military tactic. Um, They could put out false information. They could be, I mean, you know, it's possible. It's really hard for me to say, like, I can't tell you what I don't know. But, um, you know, this is what we have so far. And certainly the CIA has been concerned about it. The director of the CIA has called these things attacks. Uh, One of his own... uh, AIDS was actually involved in case of Havana syndrome uh, in India, in in New Delhi. So, I think this is something that might have been all you know close to home. Certainly not just for uh, for the leader being concerned about the general population of of U.S. operatives, but of somebody particularly close to him is is uh, you know something that he's obviously uh, paying attention to. But it, you're asking a really hard question. I wish I had a better answer. But this is yeah. this is what they're putting out now. And uh, it may not be the end of the story. I don't think that people have, have come to the conclusion like, oh, well, we can't figure it out, so we're not going to worry about it. Yeah, anymore. I think the CIA will continue to look at it. But there's also the situation that I don't know how many people there are in the U.S. Embassy in Cuba, but I can imagine there's quite a few. What about those that didn't get some or didn't exhibit some symptoms? I mean, is that evidence that there was something or evidence that there was some, uh, wasn't something? So, you know, if there's something, some laser beam or whatever it is, death ray, I don't know what you want to call it. No one's died, I don't think, from this. But if something is being aimed at the embassy, then surely everybody would be affected. Well, I, you know, again, that's that's really hard to say. And for example, if you put, I, I don't know that it's exactly comparable, you know, because you know, taking the example of COVID, which which is all we talk yes, about these yes. days, right? If you put a uh, hundred people in a, a school gym and you release COVID into the environment, will all of them get sick? Why will all of them not get sick? Is it because some people have greater natural immunity? Did they happen to avoid being in the place where the aerosol was floating around? Did they take some sort of protective measures? Did they happen to be in the bathroom at that moment? And and not, you know, that sort of thing. I mean, there, there are, it's, I think it's really hard to have a control group for this yes. sort of thing, unless everybody is doing the exact same thing in the same time, in the same place, which I don't think is true of, of any workplace and certainly not people who are in um, uh, clandestine operations, spying or something like that. It is a fascinating story. But then I'm rem- reminded in Australia, I think in the 1970s, there was a school camp where, I don't know, 100 girls went away for a school camp and they all got sick. And, you know, there was nothing physically wrong with them. But they all, it was this, they then described it as mass hysteria that for some reason someone got sick who was not sick. And then all the girls got sick, or many of them did. And I wonder whether it's, you know, one person has unexplained symptoms and then there's a few people and then a whole lot of people are kind of imagining that they are the subject of this thing. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm speaking to you from Massachusetts, home of the the witch trials, yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. go, going back to colonial times. So there, there can be cases where there is sort of a panic or hysteria where people might feel, you know, have some sort of psychosomatic effects. They're waiting to be sick. They're waiting to be harmed and they have some sort of anticipatory response. I can't say that that's the case for people who are reporting Havana syndrome. Either you can see and hear one day and you can't the next. It's sort of I think that these people have been 
uh, interviewed, examined by doctors, had their medical records reviewed. It's it's really complicated. But um, as you say, there's so many factors here. It's really hard to narrow it down to was it one single cause by one single entity or was it sort of uh, a confluence of events? Really hard to say. Stephen Shell Harbour says, I have a big problem with conspiracy theories because I've never met anybody who can keep a secret. I mean, that's <laughs> a good point, you know, Steve. Except, you know, you think of, I mean, there are a lot of things that just you find out, you know, decades later, perhaps. Uh, I, I always think of um, uh, Charles Lindbergh. He had a, two, I think, two families in Germany that his family in the U.S. just didn't know anything about. And that bloke who I spoke to about the book wrote a huge book, you know, five or six hundred pages book about um, Lindbergh and didn't know anything about it, knew nothing about it. I mean, and then Watergate is a classic example. No one yet knows, well, why did they go into the Watergate building? It's never truly been explained. So there are mysteries, there are conspiracies that do exist that we don't know anything about, and maybe we don't know about them because nobody did speak. But this one is a, it's a curious one. Celeste Katzmarston is with us in Boston. Uh, today, your time marks one year since Joe Biden took office as president. It's been a, well, it's been a troubling uh, year, um, partly because of the hand that he was dealt. I mean, coming in with COVID ravaging the nation uh, and also, a, you know, pretty hostile House and Senate, or Senate, Senate certainly. Uh, what's your take on the last year? I, I do certainly think that Joe Biden has had a really difficult situation facing him. We are in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, we have had a lot of, uh, we've had some resistance to vaccination. We've had just the natural complications caused by trying to keep people quarantined, people at work, people, uh, kids in school. Uh, we're now trying to uh, sort of rejigger our testing regimen to see when people should get tested, access to testing. Um, and of course, on top of this, all the economic uh, damage and strain, uh, plus, you know, lots and lots of orphaned children, just on a very basic level, this has not been a great time for the U.S. or the world. At the same time, we have to deal with all the regular problems we've also, you know, just always have to deal with or have to deal with periodically. In inflation, um, taxes, uh, environmental issues. Um, he has been uh, not, certainly has not been helped by having uh, a very uh, poor, let's see, poor cooperation or uh, an inability to work effectively with Republicans. That's not unexpected, yet he himself has said something to the effect of he was kind of surprised by how bad that was. I, I don't feel like everybody else was terribly surprised by this. But, you know, just yesterday he gives this big press conference where he does get uh, a little bit defensive about his record. You could say that's understandable and that uh, people are you know, it's easy to be a critic when you're not the one uh, being held responsible for everything. And that's fine. But people do have genuine concerns about what's going on. There was a, he's made voting rights, for example, a, a major 
platform in his first year in office, but he just got dealt a serious blow, the inability of uh, of the Senate to move ahead on discussing strengthening voting rights legislation. And that was because of two people in his own party, two moderate Democrats that would not go along with their own party uh, to advance that legislation. So uh, he's certainly got a hard time ahead of him domestically. And then, of course, all everything that's going on with Russia, um, escalating relations, uh, you know, it's it's uh, situation with Ukraine, uh, talking about what's going to happen next with NATO. There is a lot going on. So not surprising that he was kind of um, a little defensive about this. But uh, did he overpromise is the real question. Should have should he have looked at the landscape and said, look, we are in a really, really deep hole. And I can't promise you the moon when we're still just trying to climb back out to level ground. He has something in common with his predecessor because he was asked about the polls because currently he's got about um, 33% approval rating. Question at one point on the falling numbers indicating Americans are unhappy with his job performance. Biden replied bluntly, I don't believe the polls. Well, that's exactly what President Trump used to say. And two years ago, not one year ago, one year ago he got uh, sworn in. Two years ago he was way down in the polls and way behind in the presidential campaign. So, you know, there's a lot of time to turn things around, except for the fact that we're now into, a, you know, the election year later uh, in, in November with the House and the Senate. And he's had, he, basically presidents have one year to get anything done, don't they? And he's wasted a lot of goodwill and political capital on stuff that was never going to get done. He should have concentrated on getting people on the Supreme Court and getting some of the older Democrat appointees to retire. But he didn't. It's there is a lot going on at once. I mean, there there is uh, there's a lot of disappointment for this administration so far. The whole you know, infrastructure planning, build back better, um, has been sort of stagnant. And uh, do I think that the president alone is to be faulted for everything that's going wrong in the country? No. But at the same time, I think you're right that midterms are typically a referendum on the president in power. And if he's going to lose even more ground um, in these midterms that have less legislative support, that's going to be a real problem for him for the rest of his term and whatever happens next. It's a little early to be talking about uh, what happens in 2024, but a lot of people are already thinking about it. Yeah, okay. Um, now, it wouldn't be a U.S. presidential year or, you know, election year without people talking about, uh, you know, replacing the vice president as well, which is what they're doing. Uh, in Australia, you know, rapid, rapid antigen tests are impossible to find. Uh, no one knows what, uh, the even two years into this thing, what the best mask is to wear. Uh, however, the U.S. will distribute 400 free N95 masks. These are the ones that are apparently the best masks to wear. And yet there's a dispute on the Supreme Court about whether people are wearing masks. It's all about masks at the moment, Celeste. Yeah, so the the government, after lots of talk about whether wearing a mask was effective at all, whether you should wear a cloth mask, a surgical mask, uh, an N95 or a KN95 mask, uh, the government is currently uh, taking the position that the N95 or KN95, which has a higher 
filtration is the best thing, that people should be commonly wearing them. It's no longer good enough to just throw a scarf over your face and call it a day. So they're going to be sending out 400 million of these. Uh, you can pick them up at pharmacies, uh, health centers, and so on, and hopefully people wear them. Uh, unfortunately, it is the case that in a lot of places in the United States, people don't want to wear them. They just don't want to wear them, even if they are available, even if there is science supporting the idea that it slows the spread of the virus, gives you protection, also uh, helps you protect other people from catching the virus uh, if if you happen to be contagious. There's just a lot of people who are over this pandemic, and you can send out 400 million, you could send out 400 billion masks probably, and there would still be people who just don't care. They're over it. They don't believe the science. Uh, they they did the research. That's a big one. They did their own research um, and found out that wearing a mask can actually make you sick and give you COVID, which is not true. But um, hmm. I think the government is trying to do everything it can between sending out these masks and also um, opening up a new website. Uh, I think it's covidtests.gov in the United States where you can sign up to receive a pack of four home uh, rapid tests, which I did and which a lot of people I know have done. But, you know, I think that we're getting to a point in this pandemic uh, where um, we're dealing with Omicron, which seems to be more contagious, but less virulent, like less damaging, I yeah. should say, um, to people who get it. And some people, I've heard people say very recently, well, it's just a cold now. You just have to deal yeah, with it. Well, We're all going right. to get it. It's totally wrong. And I, I don't think it's, I don't think that's right at all. But I think that's just, unfortunately, the attitude that we're confronting right now. Yeah. And uh, at the moment, though, the Chief Justice, John Roberts, has, uh, well, he was asked about whether there was a dispute about, uh, well, Neil Gorsuch, who was uh, a Trump appointee, and um, uh, Justice Sotomayor, who was a, a, a Obama appointee, um, who has diabetes, we should point out. Uh, I think she, it's alleged that she asked Gorsuch to wear a mask and he refused, but people have said, no, 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 that didn't happen. But I suppose we'll never know. Yeah, there there were reports that uh, Sotomayor, um, Justice Sotomayor, who does have diabetes, uh, has been staying away from uh, in-person arguments, has been appearing by uh, teleconference or video conference uh, because Gorsuch wouldn't wear a mask. And um, I think they have come out and said, you know, we are friends. We did not have a dispute about this. We are not uncomfortable around each other. It's not clear why Gorsuch won't wear a mask or doesn't wear a mask. Uh, I don't think he's said um, but everybody else essentially is wearing them. So this became a, a very sort of an unusual dispute. There are lots of legal disputes, but generally uh, what we've seen a lot of over time is that the justices actually, aside from their legal differences, get along quite well mm -hmm. and are actually friends. Uh, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and, and uh, Justice uh, Antonin Scalia, Scalia famously, mm -hmm. famously friends. the opera together. Yeah, uh, even though they had diametrically opposed uh, opinions about the law. So this was an unusual story in that we don't really see these kinds of personal disputes coming out between uh, members of our highest court. Okay, and finally, look, I if haven't there watched. <laughs> if there, that's exactly, um, I haven't watched this movie yet. Don't look up, but it is ostensibly about a, uh, a something about to hit the earth, um, and. I think Leonardo DiCaprio is trying to save the earth from this meteor or whatever. It's really an analogy about climate change and whether people can gather together and band together and work together to you know, save the earth. And 
Well, they asked the good people of Boston whether that would happen because it's set in Boston, and uh, boy, the answers weren't too happy, were they? Well, they weren't too uh, weren't too encouraging. Yeah, it's kind of hilarious. This uh, there there was a, a poll, local news outlet uh, did a survey, surveyed some readers, talked to different people. Uh, if if this really happened, since the film, as you say, was filmed in in Massachusetts. Um, if it was up to Boston or up to Massachusetts people to save the planet, to survive a quote unquote preventable extinction level event, mm-hmm. uh, would we make it? <laughs> and most overwhelmingly people were like, hell no. <laughs> if it was, if it was up to Boston or up to Massachusetts to save the world, you might as well just get some popcorn and, and watch the whole place burn. To the I ground. love this comment. The people in this town are some of the rudest, most selfish humans anywhere in the world. I grew up, up here and I'm among you. If the world were in our hands, I'd go to the Packy. I presume that's a supermarket. Uh, grab it's a, a liquor case, store. yeah, liquor store. Sorry, grab a case of beer and watch the world burn. Doesn't give a lot of uh, hope for the future, but maybe the people at MIT and Harvard might have a different opinion. I don't know. I I uh, I hope, I hope so. that it doesn't come down to this in real life. Is <laughs> yeah, all I can exactly. tell you. <laughs> uh, Celeste, as always, a pleasure. We'll talk to you in two weeks' time. Thank you so much. Happy New Year. Oh, happy New Year indeed. The great Celeste Katzmaston in Boston.